Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA, and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS, they know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited-time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited-time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. America and happy Sunday. Yes, it's Sunday in America, the first Sunday in December of 2023. That's kind of exciting, right? We've got a great show for you. We're not going to jip you today. We got an incredible lineup, top to bottom. Senator Ron Johnson, one of the most cogent voices on the Hunter Biden scandal, as well as the failures in the cover-ups of the COVID-19 response. He's going to join us at the top of the show. And in the second block, we're going to stay on the COVID-19 cover-up with Dr. Harvey Risch, one of the great epidemiologists in the world, professor emeritus at Yale University Public School of Health. He'll join us and we'll have a great conversation. The newest member of Congress, in fact, just four days in the job, Congresswoman Celeste Malloy is joining us. She just won a special election to fill a Utah House seat. She's a Republican from Utah. She's got a great story to tell us. We're going to have her in the third block. Another congressman right after that, Josh Burkeen from Oklahoma, one of the champions of cutting government spending. He's putting the pressure on Mike Johnson and all those in the House of Representatives to get something done on the border, get something done on shrinking government. Government cannot be the same size on November of 2024 that it is today or as it was in the last election or Republicans will be thrown out on their ears. Josh Perkin gets it. He's going to explain what they're going to do to try to change history in the fourth block. And then we'll wrap up with Lee Zeldin, the former congressman from New York, the guy who almost shocked the world by taking the New York governorship. No one thought that was going on. But I have an exciting conversation with him. And also he weighs in on the extraordinary and historic expulsion from the U.S. House of Representatives that went on Friday. We'll cover that with Lee Zeldin. And that'll be a great way to celebrate the Sunday brunch edition of John Solomon Reports. Let's take a quick commercial break. Ron Johnson, right around the corner. All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote. It's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, AMAC.us slash justnews to become a four-year member for just 
$30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free social security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale. Four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, AMAC.us slash just news. That's AMAC.us forward slash just news. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner, whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bike. You and your family need to be prepared. That's what we learned from this last pandemic, right? That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their great doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough on all the time on our shows. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. And the new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy, and most importantly, prepared. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all of these life-saving medications. So you know what you're doing. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even the bioweapon like the plague, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to keep you and your family safe from whatever the globalists throw your way. Go to www.twchealth/justnews today in order. That's twc.health/justnews and use the promo code justnews to save 10%. Senator Ron Johnson has been tireless in his pursuit of the truth, whether it comes to Hunter Biden or the origins of COVID, or did we actually get the response to COVID right? And we're very lucky to be joined by him right now. Senator, great to have you today. Well, John Hull, man, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We did indeed. And it's good to be back in the seat and have you here on my first day back. It's pretty exciting. Um, I want to start with something that happened a few hours ago. Uh, Hunter Biden said, "Uh, yeah, sure, I'll testify. Just put me out and open. No pre-interviews. We'll just go uh, wide open on television cameras and I'll answer your questions. Maybe. I want to get your response to that offer. What you think the right thing is for Congress to do in, in evaluating that offer? Well, John, you know how painstaking these investigations are. And the first thing you have to do is obtain the documents. I'm not sure that uh, the House committee has obtained all the documents they need before they ever sit down and do a transcribed interview. That'd be the next step. You want to do the transcribed interviews with all your witnesses. Once you've gotten all the documentation, then you gather all that information along or together before you hold hearings. And so this is a grandstanding play by uh, Hunter Biden and his attorneys. Uh, they're, they're trying to uh, basically preempt a, a true investigation into the corruption of the Biden families. And I, I completely support uh, Chairman Comer and his uh, rejection of the offer. Yeah, I don't doubt. Senator, I want to switch gears to something that I know you've been very outspoken about because we look at at, at funding for Ukraine and obviously it's very declining popularity with the American people and tying that to border security for Republicans. The Democrats obviously don't want to do that. And I just think to myself, you know, something that they seem to care so much about funding Ukraine and they still won't let it fly if it if it's connected to border security. Is there nothing enticing enough? to get Democrats to say okay to securing our border. 
Well, you would think uh, national security, uh, securing our homeland would be their top priority. You know, I think the Biden administration, the Democrats' open border policy is a clear and present danger. And I use those words purposefully. Uh, I believe it is the president of the United States' responsibility to address clear and present dangers, not cause them. And that's what's so bizarre about the situation. When you've let in probably more than 6 million people, uh, 1.7 of those million people were detected gotaways. We have no idea who these people are. You've got uh, a war... Uh, Hamas against Israel with Hamas calling for days of rage. You think out of the people that even encountered 150 different nations have been represented, 73,000 special interest aliens. Those are the people encountered. You think there might be some bad people in the 1.7 million uh, detected gotaways. So this is a clear and present danger. It should be every member of Congress's. It should be the president's top priority to secure that border and eliminate this clear and present danger. And yet, the Biden administration is clinging to their desire for open borders and are ignoring it, uh, calling it a challenge. Their solution is more funding to speed up the processing, dispersing of more illegal immigrants. So Republicans have to use the leverage we have. Uh, Democrats want funding for Ukraine. Uh, we need to insist that before any funds flow to Ukraine, we have the process in place to secure our border. And what I'm calling for is not only just legislative language, like uh, as contained in H.R. 2, but in addition to that, because we have a lawless administration, we have a president who ignores Supreme Court rulings and one that wants an open border, we have to insist that any funding is contingent on them meeting actual benchmarks. And the benchmark I would lay out is the fact that uh, President Trump, from his peak to trough, in terms of his, the problem during his administration, it took 12 months for him to secure the border using existing law. So we need to change the laws, but we need those benchmarks and make the funding contingent on him achieving those benchmarks. It's the only way this is going to work. Yeah. Let me follow up on that, Senator. I think we get a sense that the House is warming to that idea. And I think you, you've been on this idea for quite some time. How strong are the Republicans in the Senate in their ability to hold together and try to force a concession from Chuck Schumer, who right now seems to want to just do things the way, well, Joe Biden does them? Well, I'm concerned that our leader is all for the full supplemental. Uh, is certainly saying the right things in terms of having a strong border uh, security provision in that. But again, language will be meaningless in the hands of this administration because it's a lawless administration. I mean, the Supreme Court ruled on eviction moratorium and they went ahead and extended it. The Supreme Court ruled on student loan forgiveness and they figured out a way around it. So we cannot expect this administration, this president to faithfully execute our laws. So we have to have in place, and this needs to be our red line. This is what we have to insist on above anything else is benchmarks that the administration has to meet and make this, the funding contingent on meeting those benchmarks. And then, of course, the administration will have every incentive to have as strong a language as possible and actually implement things like return to Mexico, safe third countries, you know, other agreements with different uh, countries as well. They would have to secure the border. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. I mean, it, it certainly seems that this administration is operating in a, a way that reflects the fact that they don't have any incentive. But I wonder, you know, yesterday on the show, we had on Derek Maltz Sr., who uh, was with the DEA, and he talked about some of these numbers. We brought up the Tucson sector that had to effectively shut down training uh, resources because they had 15,000 illegal crossings in 
in one week, 117 pounds of fentanyl. We've got this new drug, nitazine, that's a thousand times more, more potent than morphine and even more powerful and lethal than fentanyl. Is there any more pressure that, that, that border security, the people who are, who are on the front lines, border patrol officials, people who are actually there, is there any other way or any more quantity of pressure that they can apply on this administration to release the pressure valve so that there's not so much responsibility uh, on them? You know, unfortunately, with this president, probably no. You know, the, the only leverage we have is spending. You know, Democrats love to spend money, not, not on border security, uh, but on other priorities. And l- listen, I'm sympathetic with the people of Ukraine. That war has to end. Every day that goes by, uh, it becomes a more of a grinding stalemate. More Ukrainian citizens, soldiers, and Russian conscripts die. More of Ukraine gets destroyed. So I, I don't, I don't want to keep fueling the flames of that thing, but this administration does. So that's our leverage point. They want more spending. Fine. You know, I'd, I'd be willing to spend $60 billion to secure the border, but we actually have to secure the border. And I, I warn my colleagues, Republican colleagues, you know, just agreeing to language that in the end, in the hands of this administration, won't secure the border. We, we would basically be Charlie Brown to their Lucy. We, we can't afford to do that. We have to insist on language and the benchmarks that will actually produce a secure border. Yeah, so important. Sir, earlier today in Great Britain, the uh, government official slash doctor who oversaw a big part of the COVID response in Great Britain said he had a strong reason to believe that COVID was man-made, meaning that it was actually invented in a lab before it was uh, imposed on the world. I'd like to get your assessment of his statements and the growing evidence that points in that direction that this was a lab leak and not not a, a evolution from nature like you've been saying for some time. It's, it's an admission that came about three years too late. Uh, you know, there is a mountain of evidence that is mounting here now. Uh, I, I just had a, a early copy of uh, RFK Jr.'s new book. He just lays out all the evidence, but it's been out there for literally years. I mean, the, the Fauci emails where he's obviously involved in a cover-up because he knows how complicit he was in funding all this dangerous research that probably produced the uh, coronavirus. Uh, to me, this has been obvious since uh, about mid-2020, talking to computational biologists, the, the spike protein, the fear on cleavage site. I mean, again, this is just obviously a man-made virus. It didn't spring from nature. They they've have no link whatsoever. They've been looking for it for three years. This was man-made, probably escaped from the Wuhan lab. And there's been a massive and a massive cover-up by all the people who are complicit in funding this bioweapon research, this gain-of-function research that really there's no benefit to it whatsoever. It's just danger. And as a result, they unleashed a pandemic that is responsible for the deaths of millions of people, which is why they continue to cover it up. And these are powerful people. These are people, the Wellcome Trust, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Anthony Fauci, Ralph Barrick, Peter Daszak, you know, m- members of our intelligence community, our defense departments. You know, Chinese nationals, the Chinese government, I mean, our media. There are so many people complicit that uh, should have been aware of this, should have been uh, honest with the American public, but they've been covering up just like they covered up the sabotage of early treatment, which also costs hundreds of thousands of people their lives. This is shameful. This needs to be further exposed. The evidence out there, people have to look at it. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. Dr. Harvey Risch, one of the most important voices in all of medicine and a man who had the COVID-19 pandemic right when Dr. Anthony Fauci often was wrong. He'll bring us up to speed on the latest developments on public health and specifically COVID right after these messages. 
Hey folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title in your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time. Go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. The studied ingredients in Lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, add lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now, get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code JUSTNEWS15. That's the promo code JUSTNEWS15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean.com. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a health care provider. Welcome back, America. If you've ventured over to mainstream media lately, you might have seen the copious fear porn out there about record hospitalizations in China, mostly children. It's all very, very scary, even though we are right about that time when most people are historically getting colds, getting flus, and all sorts of respiratory viruses that just seems to float around, especially after things like Thanksgiving and as we're heading into the Christmas season. But there's one person who we know we always get solid information from with uh, respect to COVID and anything that is passing around our uh, our country. And he is Dr. Harvey Risch. He is a professor emeritus of epidemiology at the Yale School of Public Health. And he rejoins our show to walk us through everything going on Related to colds and coughs and much, much more, all of these sticky germs that are going around. Dr. Rish, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for being here. Great to be with you. And I and my wife are still struggling with our cold that we got on uh, airplane a few weeks ago. <laughs> it, it, it seems like that is just what's happening. And it's not it's not a global pandemic. It's just it's that time of year again. And when I consider, you know, everything that we supposedly know so far about what's happening uh, in in China, the causal agents are things like like RSV, influenza, SARS-CoV-2, uh, myoplasma. What is it? Mycoplasma. That's really just walking mycoplasma. pneumonia. These are all. Yeah, these are all. Aren't these familiar pathogens? By and large, yes. Um, you have to remember that when China says that there's lots of patients at its emergency rooms, what what you put in context is that the Chinese population generally uses the emergency department, the emergency room, as its primary care. 
And so what you need to be sure of is whether the hospital inpatients are filling up or not. My understanding is they're not, and it's in the children's hospitals as well, that this is lots of people going to emergency rooms to have their colds and syphilis treated. There could be some that are that are more serious, but by and large, it's a fall wave of respiratory virus infections, and it's pretty standard. It's happening here and in Europe, too. The mix of, of, of organisms might be a little different, but by and large, it's what we normally have. Maybe we forgot that we normally have this because we were all psychologically paralyzed by COVID for the last three years, but it is what normally happens in the fall and winter months in the, yeah. in the Northern Hemisphere. And how much has China's isolation? There's been a lot of lockdowns in China. We got back, at least here in the United States, to normal living, I think a little sooner than China. Does that also add to the complexity of maybe what people are seeing with these colds and outbreaks in China? It's possible that locking down for months to years will reduce people's exposure to common infectious agents, which means they won't build up immunities. And so when they finally get opened, they become more sponge-like in, in sucking up these, these viruses and pathogens. So there might be some of that. Also, remember that I think that they're, they're not um, supplementing with vitamin D as much as they should for their population. Right. Uh, not that we do either, but, but we know about it anyway. So both things contribute a little bit, probably. Yeah, that's very smart. Dr. Rish, I want to go back to the basics a little bit because as we are all traveling on planes, I oftentimes see people who are wearing a mask and they are coughing. And I know that there is a school of thought that is contrary to COVID and wearing a mask and protecting yourself. If you're sick, wear a mask so that you're not spreading your cold or your flu or whatever to other people. I don't know the size of of these atoms, um, but is there any is there any scientific backing to wearing a mask if you're sick and not wanting to infect others? Well, I suppose that if you're coughing and sneezing and you have the mask over your face, it may prevent to a substantial de degree the spread of those germs, but they will go around the edges of the mask. And so eventually they get out. Uh, it may take a little more time to get out. And so it may the diffusion may take less time and uh, so whether that has a net benefit or not is uncertain. The studies that looked at masking for uh, source control, meaning not spreading infection to other people <clears throat> in flu, don't show any benefit just like they don't show any ben or appreciable benefit, just like they don't show appreciable benefit for COVID. Uh, the other agents, I, I don't really know for sure, but I would expect that masks are just not all that effective. Mm. So I want to ask about some testimony in Britain earlier today. Michael Gove, uh, the official who oversaw a lot of the early COVID uh, pandemic response in Great Britain, saying he has a high degree of concern that uh, the COVID virus was man-made. It did not evolve from nature. That's a long way from where Dr. Fauci started us on this journey a long time ago. Your reaction to that and what someone of his stature, what he might do to the overall debate in the world? Uh, three letters, duh, that we've known for years, plus we've known how it was bioengineered. We know what essentially all of the steps were in concocting this virus. And so we know that this was a human manufactured virus. We just don't know it, literally that it was released from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, though we think it was. We know that they were doing the research. We know they were funded by EcoHealth Alliance, which was funded by U.S. government through two or three different major funding streams. And so and we know the players, the scientists who were doing this you know, around the U.S. and the labs in the U.S. That, that were doing this. So this is 
something that basically these people who are now admitting to it are doing it because they're seeing some personal liability in talking about it or not talk, maintaining their 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 silence when right. they've known for all this time. Uh, there's some motivations for something like that. Yeah, that's a good point. Dr. Rish, I want to ask you about the fear aspect of this, because I think that the psychological element to all of this plays a huge role in the way that we react as citizens and also the way that our, that our government reacts. And I know that the Chinese... The Chinese officials have reacted to the news about these hospitalizations, saying that it may be because of the lifting of COVID restrictions and mandates. And yet here stateside, we have a lot of publications, including New York Times, New York Mag, NBC, who have talked about how the shutdowns were likely a mistake. For you in academia and in the medical community, as we are ramping up again for another cold season that could be disguised as whatever this is coming out of China, do you expect the reactions to be the same? And if the government tries to step over that line again and shut things down, do you think that there will be more of an uprising within the medical community to say, no, this doesn't work? Well, I would hope so. I'm not optimistic about the medical community. I'm more optimistic about the general population that, you know, Inglesby and, and Henderson wrote a, canonic, a canon, canonical, I guess, paper in 2006 talking about the management of respiratory virus, flu virus pandemics, and they explicitly say not to lock down. They say only for people who are uh, symptomatic to, to stay home and, until the, their infections have passed. And so they say not to lock down, that lockdowns are disruptive, damaging to the population, and don't serve a beneficial purpose. And that was the orthodoxy in public health until our government and the National Security Council that managed the pandemic flipped that 180 degrees for reasons having nothing to do with, it's nothing to do with public health. So if, if they go through that and do that again, I think there's going to be a lot of major pushback that people know that this pandemic was mismanaged from the start, that the lockdowns was one of the mismanagement factors. We, we saw from Australia that it had draconian lockdowns that as soon as they reopened, they were a sponge to COVID. Everybody got it. It got with a dramatic spike in COVID, you know, virtually as soon as they, they stopped their lockdowns. You, you cannot escape an endemic virus. You have to let it run its course. The best thing to do is to manage its course, to make it a mild, treatable course as best you can, and to be aggressive in that treatment as best you can. And, and so locking down just pushes off to the future what what will probably be worse in the future, if not at least the same. Yeah, mm. and you were one of the few early medical professionals that preached that it's too bad that they uh, that those who were in power didn't listen because you had the right anecdote right from the beginning. Sir, I want to turn to something that happened since the last time we had the pleasure of talking to you. Government information has come out that the government has a separate uh, adverse reaction database beyond VAERS uh, for the COVID vaccine virus, which is, seems to me very odd. If the whole purpose of VAERS is to give us visibility, why keep certain reports out of it? Can you tell us what you know about it and why that may be important uh, to get access to that data so we can learn more from it? Well, I think that, first of all, VAERS, to me, in my opinion, is public theater. That VAERS is an institution that makes it look like the government is doing something, but without any serious content. So the the government hides behind the fact of, oh, these are just signals, but they don't prove anything. They don't demonstrate anything. And so it dismisses everything and bears, along with misrepresenting some of the more serious things that have been ca captured in bears. Um, 
I think the government has seven or eight databases that it has access to. These are mostly insurance company databases that that the government has been monitoring. They know full well all of the the COVID cases that have been going on, the hospitalizations, the mortality, the the vaccination status in, in some of those databases. They they have all that data. They've been monitoring that data since the beginning of the pandemic. They know, for example, from April, March, April of 2021, a few months after the start of the rollout of the vaccines, they knew that there were breakthrough cases, that these are people who had been vaccinated who were getting COVID. Right. And they knew from, from then through the end of uh, September of 2021, that almost 4% of vaccinated people had gotten COVID in that period after their vaccines. This is an undercount because in May of that year, they stopped counting hospitalizations in um they stop counting infections in vaccinated people, only hospitalized infections. So it's a, definitely an undercount. And they knew this. They've admitted to it already. And and this comes about from databases that they have access to that they've maintained secrecy of and have never been transparent, even though in the fall of 2020, when the vaccines were being readied to, to be distributed, the uh, CDC said that we have seven or eight databases and we are going to make the results of these databases public so that people know that we're tracking this transparently. And then they never did that. All right. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, the newest member of the U.S. House of Representatives, Celeste Malloy from Utah, right after the commercial break. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome back, everybody. In early September, former six-term Utah Congressman Chris Stewart officially retired from his post to spend more time with his wife, who unfortunately remains ill. And since he retired before the end of his term, Governor Spencer Cox was challenged to set a special election, and therefore he did. And the victor of that special election was just sworn in yesterday in front of a full House chamber. And many of her family members joining us for the very first time on the show is the newest member of Congress and Utah's newly elected leader of the 2nd Congressional District, Congresswoman Celeste Malloy. It's an honor to have you here, and congratulations. Thank you. All right. So your first few days on the job, I know that you have hit the ground running, but I I, want to focus on your election and how you won, because I know that there were some winning messages for you. Obviously, you won this seat. What are some of those winning messages that you would recommend to your colleagues to to propagate across their own campaigns for next year? Well, I jumped into a really crowded field early on, and I knew I was going to have to have a very specific message. I knew I was going to have to have something that would resonate with voters. And because I've been 
a staffer on the Hill. And because I'm a lawyer, I decided I was probably going to have to be kind of wonky and nerdy and talk policy and talk issues. I've tried to avoid, you know, talking points and red meat. And I think voters really responded to that. I think they are tired of being fed lines. I think people want to hear substance. They want to talk about um, the kitchen table issues. So I've mostly, through the campaign, I really tried to stick with um, inflation, spending, and government overreach. Almost everything anybody talked to me about on the campaign trail fit into one of those three categories. Um, and I've spent a lot of my career working on combating government overreach. And so it was a natural fit for me and people really responded to it. And I think that's a message that gets overlooked in some of the current events and talking about hot topics for right now. So I, my advice to people who are running is it's it's about the economy, stupid, I guess. Talk about inflation, <laughs> talk about spending. Those are the things people are worried about. They worry their kids aren't going to be able to afford houses. They worry their kids aren't going to be able to get jobs. They worry that they're not going to be able to retire. Yeah. Uh, you, you had a very disciplined uh, campaign, too. It really stuck those issues and it really resonated. Now you have this incredible opportunity. You've already worked in the building a long time, just not as a member. Now you're a member. This is a moment, I think, unlike any time since I've been in Washington. Maybe the Gingrich Revolution, the last time that I was here, that there was some discussion, a real honest conversation about how we're going to cut government, how we're going to cut government overreach, how we're going to start to cut spending. What do you think the chances are that between now and the next election, Republicans can make a dent in showing that, hey, we can cut the government. We can't cut the spending. I don't, I'm not a Vegas bookmaker. I don't know how to make odds really, but <laughs> I think, I think there's a chance. I yeah. guess it's the dumb and dumber line. I'm, I'm saying there's a chance. Uh, it seems like we're really focused on that. I've been talking to my new colleagues and that's what people are talking about. We've got to cut spending. We've got a deadline coming up. Um, and I think people are focused. So I'd say there's a chance. And it's not one in a billion. <laughs> Those are good odds. I like that. Anything less than a billion. Honestly, That's good. I wish I lived in Utah because anybody quoting Dumb and Dumber gets my vote automatically. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you about one of those main issues, those issues being the border. And Utah, obviously, people don't think of Utah as a geographically a border state, and it's not. But as we know, especially with this administration, every state, unfortunately, has become a border state with respect to trafficking and crime and and humans brought into the state. For Utah, how has that hit Utah the hardest? So I think Utah's unique amongst red states in that it has hit Utah. Um, I know I've talked with sheriffs. We don't have enough beds for ICE detainees. You know, people are coming and we don't know who they are and we don't know what they're bringing with them. Uh, Utah's also a state with a really unem or low unemployment rate. Um, so it's a state where businesses are asking for more visas. And excuse me, I've got a frog in my throat. I think that's what makes Utah unique in this conversation. Utahns definitely want the border to be under control. And it doesn't matter what else we do with immigration. If we don't have control of our border, nothing else is going to work. But in Utah, you can also talk about fixing the immigration problems um, once we have the border under control. And so I think the way it's hit Utahns is actually on both sides of the equation. We have people coming to Utah and they're undocumented. We also have a need for more documented immigrants in Utah. And I think that motivates people to be invested in finding a solution. Yeah, no doubt. Mm -hmm. 
It was great to see the pictures, the photos, the accolades, the congratulations yesterday. And it's, it's funny because you've been in this building a long time. You know Congress very well, having been a top staffer to Congressman Stewart. But now you remember yes. what's been the biggest change in the first 24 hours for you? Um, the biggest change is that I have found I cannot sit at the congressional desk just yet. I've spent <laughs> some time in that office because it's the middle of a Congress I went back into the same office that Congressman Stewart was in, um, and I can't mm. sit at his desk just yet. I'm working up to it, uh, but it's it's been great. Tuesday night was magical. It was like something out of a Disney movie. Um, I had, I think, about 200 people up in the gallery, and the whole House floor stood up and turned around and applauded them. That's what you're seeing right now in that video. Um, and that was just amazing. They made my friends and family feel like VIPs. They made me feel very welcome. It was a great way to start a new uh, chapter in my career. Yeah, no doubt. Very warming. It's great. Uh, I love that. And I wanted to ask you about another issue that I know Utahans care about because Utah is home to a number of national parks, just absolute immense resources is natural beauty, one of the most beautiful states in our country. And I know that that's one of the things that you care about a lot, protecting that natural beauty uh, from overreach by the federal government. Can you talk to us about that and your efforts going forward? Yeah. Um, three of the mighty five Utah national parks are in my district, um, and they're a big economic driver. Um, but we also have management issues when it comes to the parks. All of them are talking about how to limit the number of people who can come in, uh, and that tends to hit locals really hard. People who are coming from overseas to visit a national park, they plan their trips a year ahead of time and getting a permit isn't as big of a deal. Locals tend to not plan their trips ahead of time and they wanna still be able to get in the parks that are in their backyard. So we have a lot of those kind of issues we're working through. Um, and then we have a lot of public land in Utah and most of it is not the national parks. So when you're on Capitol Hill, when you're in Washington, D.C., and you're talking about public lands, I think people picture the parks. They picture the red rocks and the arches, right. and they get really protective. They want um, protection of these, you know, gems of places. But we have a lot oh. of public land in Utah that isn't like that and should be managed for multiple use. All right. Will they or won't they? That's the question that's up around the corner right after the commercial break. Congressman Josh Burkeen from Oklahoma will weigh in on whether House Republicans will live up to their promises and cut the size of government and close the border, or will they whiff and head into the 2024 election with a less than stellar record? Josh Burkeen will answer that right after these messages. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. 
Welcome back, America. As you all probably observed, there's either too much going on on Capitol Hill or absolutely nothing at all. But one thing we know is that our next guest never stops working for the American people, especially for his constituents in Oklahoma's second congressional district. He's a member of both the Homeland Security and Budget Committees, and he joins us now. Congressman Josh Burkane, it's an honor to have you back on. Thank you for being here, sir. Thank you, Amanda. John, thank you. Yeah, good to be with Sir, I wanted to ask you about these two new pieces of legislation combating uh, the Biden administration circumventing a federal law with respect to abortion, because polls have shown that 60 percent of Americans do not want federal funding for abortions. But if you listen to the pink hat uh, hashtag stay out of my bedroom crowd, they would have you believe that everybody supports uh, abortion up until the moment of birth and, and they want everybody else to pay for it. I don't think that's true. And this poll shows that. Uh, talk to us about this legislation. Yeah. So on two places, um, this, this will shock most viewers. Uh, not only do we have a porous border, an open border, but they want you to pay for the abortion of the illegal immigrant that's coming across that southern border. And so we've we've introduced a measure to, to stop that. And the Hyde Amendment um, that has historically been utilized to keep the taxpayer from paying for abortions is additionally being usurped for the Medicaid uh, community to be able for this administration to entice states to pay for abortion services using federal funds. And so we've introduced a measure to clarify that the Hyde Amendment means what it says, no use of taxpayer funded abortions. Yeah, that's so important. And uh, as you said, as Amanda pointed out, the public is really on the side of of your bill. There's no doubt about it. Um, I want to turn to the question I get more than any other now. I used to get lots of Russia collusion and Ukraine and uh, Joe Biden questions. Today, everybody wants to know, when are we finally going to cut the spending uh, addiction in Washington? You're on the budget committee. I know you're working really hard to try to get the first cuts in spending in a long time. Walk us through where we are and where we'll be in a month from now. So let me just say that it's so important the American people awaken themselves to a greater understanding than, oh, we've got a problem. Um, I said Mm -hmm. this on the floor. I put forth an amendment last week trying to return to 2019 spending levels. And I will tell you that even that is not to match the size of our problem. The American people must understand we have two two separate areas of funding out of a $6.5 trillion spend every year. We have the mandatory side, which is uh, Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security, veteran benefits. That's mandatory. Congress adjusts eligibility. But Congress doesn't appropriate on an annual basis. Most of that comes out of the payroll tax. Where the bulk of our time is spent is on the discretionary side, the 12 appropriation bills that you hear Congress people talk about all too often. That side that spend is one third of our budget. In 1970, it was two thirds of our budget. Now it's been reduced to one third of the discretionary spend. It's $1.7 trillion out of 6.5 total allocation. The deficit was 1.57 last year. So, or 1.7. So, what that means is the size of our deficit matches the size of our entire discretionary budget. That means the discretionary budget includes all defense spending, all education spending, all energy spending. So, That means every dollar we're spending to defend ourselves, every dollar going to any classroom coming from the federal government, every dollar that's funding most of these bureaucracies that most people touch their their lives is borrowed from our kids and our grandkids. 100% of everything we're debating is borrowed money. We are headed towards bankruptcy. And, and, And so the time for half measures is 30 years ago. It's no longer waste, fraud, and abuse. If we don't get serious about cutting agencies, cutting programs, 
then we're going to go the way of history. And, and that, uh, that pronouncement is really sad. Mm, that it is. Well, and, and one of the major conversations surrounding spending in Washington is cutting agencies like you just said. And, and whether it's the FBI or the CIA, which a lot of people have concerns about with respect to some investigations happening right now. But you've got, uh, what's her name, Amy McFadden, the deputy director of analysis, who has put out posts out there with hashtag free Palestine. She changed the banner on her Facebook page to a man holding a Palestinian flag. And you have these people at intelligence agencies that we as Americans expect to be neutral for the most part. Obviously, humans are fallible, but to but to be so brazen to put it out there on social media, that to me indicates a cancer that is pretty indicative and, and, and is propagated across a lot of intelligence agencies and officials in Washington. Do you agree? Yeah, I do. And it's lawlessness. I had Secretary Mayorkas was before um, the committee I serve on, on the Homeland Security Committee last week, and Director Ray was there. And I made a comment I actually quoted something uh, out of the Bible, Ecclesiastes, that says that when a punishment for a crime is not quickly carried out, then the hearts of the people are encouraged to do more evil. And I said to them mm-hmm. um, that we have a culture of lawlessness that this administration is bringing about. When they are flagrant in, in not following federal law when it comes to the southern border, that it's no surprise that you see a, a loader lifting up the razor wire that the Texas Department of Public Safety has put there trying to seal off the southern border. And the federal government has operation of raising that uh, loader in the air to let the, the, those coming across illegally come on in. It, it's no wonder that you see lawlessness with the fentanyl trade, the enrichment of the cartel. And now when someone is pulled over without a driver's license in a state because ICE is no longer deporting like they used to, then the local PDs all across communities all across this nation know when they give them a citation, they're not going to be reporting for the court date because lawlessness is expounded on administration. That is just saying, come on, do what you want to. It's a really sad state of affairs in this country. It is. And I think you've done a great job really describing just how serious the problem is. I want to turn to something that's happened in the last few weeks. uh, And it's shocking to me that there is not more alarm in Congress. I know there's alarm with you. Uh, All three of the major credit rating agencies have downgraded the American uh, government. The U.S. government has been downgraded by our, our credit rating agencies. There is a risk level now assigned to doing business with the United States government. In an earlier era, that would have sent shockwaves through the federal bureaucracy and through Congress. But it's almost greeted with a yawn. Do you find any members alarmed as you are? Yeah, look, I'm in the Freedom Caucus. There's a lot of us alarmed. There's a lot of people within the Republican Study Committee that fellow congressman from Oklahoma, Kevin Hearn, chairs. There's a lot of people that are alarmed. But look, it's going to have to move from alarm to action. And when when we're seeing amendment after amendment go to the floor to return back to 2019 spending levels and we can't get the majority to support that, how will we ever really deal with an entire discretionary budget that's unpaid for? If we can't just return back to 2019 spending levels, we're never going to be able to, to solve our budget problems. And so my my petition to every person who's watching this program is ask your member of Congress how they can defend votes if they're not voting to cut. We, we, we are raising record revenue right now in relation to our GDP. We're, we're drawing from them, taking from the American people 20 percent of, of, yeah. of their earnings. And, and it's revenue is not the problem. It's the spend. Absolutely. And I would say that there's a risk factor associated with doing anything with the federal government, not just doing business with them. Uh, But I digress. I want to talk about Oklahoma. Oklahoma is a freedom loving state. And we've had your superintendent on many times, Ryan Walters, 
uh, talking yes. about educational efforts within that state, the support of school choice, tying success to pay with respect to teachers and tutors. Talk to us about that, because I know that that's got to be something very, very important to parents in Oklahoma. Well, I just I, look, I've said this before. I want to commend what uh, Ryan has been doing and advocating for biblical morality in, in our classrooms. And he is not alone. Our founders championed this. Our founders believed that that liberty um, was so intrinsic, self-governance was so intrinsic with biblical virtue. And if you read most state constitutions, they talk about what's the point of education is to have an informed citizenry. So in addition to, to you know, we have a lot of educated people in prisons across this country. Education is not alone. You've got to have virtue also. Yeah. And as my mother, who mm-hmm. was a super for many years as a classroom educator used to tell me you can't educate what you have to discipline at the same times and the lack of discipline these mass shootings this cultural rot this lack of self-restraint there's a reason we have to return to the kind of virtue that our founders understood all right folks we're going to dive into the extraordinary and historic expulsion from the u.s house of representatives that occurred Friday afternoon. That's right. George Santos, no longer a congressman, former New York congressman. Lee Zeldin's getting weigh in on that and so much more, including what are the strategies that Republicans in the House can use to win elections in 2024? Lee Zeldin, one of the great political minds in all the conservative movement. Up next, right after these messages. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Former Congressman Lee Zeldin, he knows New York better than anyone I know, uh, and he joins us right now. Sir, good to have you on the show. It's great to be with you. All right. So I don't think this is an unexpected vote. The momentum has been building for a few weeks, uh, but there's a remarkable contrast, right? Senate Democrats want to keep their majority in the Senate so they don't vote to expel uh, Bob Menendez. Republicans do the principal thing. They feel like this guy has done too much to deserve to stay in the chamber. They throw it out, even though it shrinks their majority. Does that play out with voters? You think the contrast between the two parties? I think that it puts the House Republicans in a position where they're going to be able to go on offense uh, against House Democrats, uh, quite frankly, for a a lot of uh, examples of lacking moral clarity. Uh, And you see it play out. I know that you have Chairman Comer coming on as you move forward with an impeachment uh, deposition of Hunter Biden, for example. It's something that you can defend when... Adam Schiff was following the same exact process uh, when they were trying to impeach President Trump. Uh, as House Republicans go forward, 
they are going to be able to be more confidently and consistently on offense uh, to tackle a lot of the the weaknesses, vulnerabilities of House Democrats. And they probably just had enough of the, the George Santos saga. Uh, many House Republicans voted to keep them. Many others voted to get rid of them. Now there's a special election that will be coming up in New York. And I think that House Republicans should do all that they can to be on offense and try to hold the seat. They shouldn't give up on it. Yeah, that's right. Point. Well, and, and Congressman, you gave us some numbers before we came to air that I want to make sure I, I wrote them down properly and, and help me understand this because it kind of seems like two different sides uh, have have staked a claim over this district. This was a district that you won by 12 points, but Joe Biden won it by eight points. Please help me understand that. Yeah, this district has been trending to the right over the course of the last few years. In 2021, in Nassau County, which is a large bulk of the 3rd Congressional District, uh, they had they elected a Republican county executive, so the Democratic incumbent was ousted. Bruce Blakeman was elected. The town of North Hempstead, which is on the north shore of Nassau County, a very Democrat district, actually voted for the Republican candidate, Jen DeSena. In northwest Nassau County, a very heavily... Uh, Democrat County Legislative District, Mozzie Pillup, uh, the Republican, won that seat in 21. She's a former IDF paratrooper. Uh, th- these are Republicans who were able to convince Democrats and independents uh, to go a different direction. So that trend after 2020, you start seeing the first signs of it in 2021. In 2022, uh, we crushed the 3rd Congressional District in our race for governor against Kathy Hochul. Uh, that was better than a 56 44 Gap. We won by a little bit over 12 points. Uh, we saw strong support. Uh, a lot of down ballot candidates had a lot of success. Uh, we saw that at the House level, uh, as was played out with the congressional seat. In 2023, the local elections that had just passed, uh, the names that I just referenced for you, Jen DeSena, she gets reelected. Mozzie Pillup, she gets reelected. Uh, the 3rd Congressional District in Nassau County uh, uh, continues this trend of independents and even some Democrats voting Republican. I would also add that the Nassau County Republican Committee, uh, and and it's led by Chairman Joe Cairo, I would put them up against any county Republican committee chair uh, and county committee anywhere else in the country. It could be in the reddest state, and you'd be hard-pressed to find a county that is as strong and well-organized, well-mobilized as the Nassau County Republican Committee is right now. So the Democrats have the voter registration uh, in that seat as they head to a special election. Uh, But I would not count out at all uh, the ability of both the Republicans to be able to better mobilize and organize. uh, And I would also not count out the fact that right now uh, independents and Democrats are very unhappy uh, with the direction of the state uh, with we see within New York City and the country nationally. And uh, a lot of Democrats are disenfranchised and have shown a willingness now for multiple elections to vote Republican. Yeah. When Republicans come to me and say, I'm depressed about the election results, I keep saying, keep an eye on what is going on in New York. Remember what Lee Zeldin did. There's a lot of reasons to be optimistic if you're a conservative about what's happening in New York. Now, I want to ask you, do you have any guess who might be a strong Republican candidate for the seat in the special election? And then what are the issues you'd recommend that candidate to focus on to try to win the seat in the special election? Well, first off, it feels like there are about a thousand Republicans who have stepped up. Uh, so there's there are so many people who have said yep. that they're interested in running. Uh, that's great. Uh, that's something that 
uh, will have to play out in a screening process uh, for the county Republican committees uh, to hear from uh, these candidates. In New York, we have third parties. Uh, so there will be a conservative party uh, role to play as well. Um, I, I will be supportive of whoever the Republican candidate is who gets uh, nominated as a result of that process. Uh, to understand New York law here with the special election, the governor is going to call a special election. The parties pick the candidate. Uh, and I am sure that uh, that there will be a, a process to try to pick the best possible candidate to win this seat. And there will be an extensive vetting uh, to make sure that we don't have a repeat of the, the Santos saga. Uh, so uh, to, to the second part of your question, while we don't know exactly who the candidate is going to be just yet, uh, that you focus on, you need to focus on the issues that matter most to voters. And right now, New Yorkers are hitting their breaking point and they're deciding to flee the state because of the cost of living, concerns about safety, attacks on freedom, concern about the quality of education or schools. And right now, uh, we see a new top three issue, and for many, a top one issue uh, in the migrant crisis, uh, which has made its way to New York. Uh, it's impacting quality of life. Uh, so for the Republican candidate to be thinking about uh, messaging, uh, I, I don't think you need to look for what is the sixth, seventh, eighth or ninth most important issue to voters. Yeah. What are the top three, four, five issues? And these are issues that we're on the right side of. If it is about making our streets safer, life in New York more affordable, to defend freedom, to control our uh, southern border, uh, to make sure that we have that check on Biden and Schumer and a balance of power in Washington, really on all of the fronts that uh, I think are very important to voters right now. The Republicans have the upper edge on the messaging. Don't overthink it. Just focus on what voters are telling you is most important to them. Yeah, so important. Well, and Congressman, with respect respect to cost of living yesterday on the show, we talked about these hardship withdrawals from folks' IRA. It's up 30%. The number one reason cited was risk of eviction or foreclosure. But there's another side of this that is becoming untenable, and that is for businesses in New York. $4.4 billion, which is more than Disney paid for the Marvel franchise. That's the amount of merchandise that was stolen through these these criminal shoplifting rings. That's got to be another unifying topic on both sides of the aisle. Oh, you're absolutely right. Uh, when I was in the state Senate a decade ago, I was the chair of the uh, Consumer Protection Committee. Uh, so organized retail crime, this is not a new thing. Organized retail crime was an issue back then. The way that it worked then was that the retailers would come to me and say, this is what we need in order to tackle organized retail crime. And they would have a legislative agenda, and then we would pass it. What happens now is that you have the retailers who are going to the state legislature, going to the governor, saying, this is our agenda. This is what we need to stop it. And it seems like this state capital goes in the opposite direction every time. New York now has implemented cashless bail. It's the only state in the entire country that doesn't give judges discretion to weigh dangerousness. We have district attorneys who are getting elected who are refusing to enforce the law. DAs who think that that stands for defense attorney, not district attorney. Uh, we have a lack of support for law enforcement. And we've reached a point where retailers don't feel like they can put together a great agenda to actually tackle organized retail crime and have the full support of elected officials. Instead, they're getting stonewalled by elected officials who feel like the state hasn't gone far enough in passing enough pro-criminal laws. Uh, so there's, you know, you get to the point where you're locking up toothpaste instead of criminals. 
Uh, you're losing inventory. You feel helpless without government having your back. Uh, and you decide that it's going to get worse, not better. So you just close your doors. It impacts quality of life for customers where they might be losing the business uh, the, altogether in their community. Uh, the jobs that end up getting lost, the higher cost of goods for the rest of us who actually pay for what we uh, take out of that location. Uh, and it impacts the local economy. It impacts the amount of tax receipts by government. And when these businesses fold or when these businesses move, this isn't just putting a state or community in timeout. Nope. They're saying, that's it. I'm done. All right, folks, that wraps up the Sunday edition, the Sunday brunch edition of John Solomon Reports. Thank you for joining in. A big thank you to Ron Johnson, Harvey Rich, Celeste Malloy, Josh Burkeen, and Lee Zeldin for an engaging and lively and informative conversation. I'm always grateful we have such smart guests on the show. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your Sunday. God bless you. We'll be back Monday with regular programming. Until then, have a great night, and be sure to download the Just the News app from the Android and Apple stores. If you haven't done it, it's a great way to experience Just the News in three dimensions. You can listen, you can watch, and you can read Just the News content. All right, with that, I'm signing off. Have a great Sunday. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, God bless. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion. Hunter Biden and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. Hey there, it's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, expert politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey. Thank you.